You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We're going to turn now toward the Easter story and read that together. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. And Aaron, thanks for reading for us. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. It's such a joy to celebrate Easter with you today. The empty tomb. One thing, kids, especially for you, that I hope is not empty, is your Easter basket. When I was little on Easter, we would often be in Canby, Minnesota. It's this little town in western Minnesota, southwestern Minnesota, and we'd go to the sunrise service. And I think if I'm honest, the only thing that got me out of bed that early in the morning, 5 a.m. is what it seemed like, was to know that I would go downstairs into the living room and I would find my Easter basket. And so there my sister and I would start our morning with Easter breakfast, which was jelly beans and chocolate eggs and peeps, you know, that'll all get you going. This is one of many Easter traditions that I think of this year. But we also added a new one that I'm excited to share with you. Of of all these years celebrating Easter, this was the first time this has ever happened. We have a couple here at church who told us they have sort of the inside line, the direct handle with the Easter bunny. And so they said, you know, he's pretty busy, but He says he got a little room in his calendar, this was yesterday, and he could stop by and see the kids. So the Easter Bunny came, it was incredible, with his wife. He brought his wife along. The youngest ones were not so sure. You'd see the three-year-old on the left, 
And he's keeping a very close eye on the Easter Bunny. And the two-year-old didn't even make the picture. We had to kind of talk him into, before they left, giving Mrs. Easter Bunny a quick hug. And so here is what that looked like. Quickly back to safety. That was so much fun. So many fun traditions and memories. I trust many that come to your mind. But I pray for my kids, and I pray for you and me, for each one of us, that the best part about Easter, hands down, is about Jesus and the empty tomb. That we get to celebrate the resurrection. So this year we read this story in John's Gospel. John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was the little brother of the disciple James. Together, these two brothers had been commercial fishermen with their father, whose name was Zebedee. That is, until Jesus arrived on the shores of Lake Galilee and he called them to follow him. And aren't we grateful that God would lead John to write down eventually all the things that he experienced and saw and heard from Jesus? And if you're new to learning about Jesus, or you're maybe new to reading the Bible, one of the best places that you could start is the Gospel of John, from which we just read. John is one of four accounts of the life of Jesus, and each one of them has different elements that they kind of draw out and highlight. Some of the highlights in John's account of the Easter story are this. We're going to see his emphasis on Mary Magdalene. The strips of linen that are there lying in the tomb. The gardener, unique to John. And the key word for the whole Gospel of John, and that is what it means to believe. Believe. So what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is just to take us all into this story. And really bring us in in a way where you can just imagine that you're there. You're seeing this play out. And to highlight the things that John highlights. And then to finish with that key word, believe. So we left off, we're actually going to go back into 19 just very briefly to remember where we were on Friday night. We left off Good Friday with the burial of Jesus in John 19. Now usually a victim of Roman crucifixion was not buried And that was part of the shame of this sort of death, was that your body was not taken down off the cross. It was left to the elements. But Joseph of Arimathea, he has the social standing and now the courage. Remember in chapter 19, it says he's following Jesus secretly. But in chapter 20, he takes this courageous step forward and he goes to ask Pilate for Jesus' body. And Pilate consents. And I think it's perhaps this little dig, this little last dig at the Jewish leaders who he knows have falsely accused Jesus. So Joseph and Nicodemus and their servants go and remove Jesus' body after the Roman soldiers verify that it's dead. They pierce his side, it says, with a spear. And this is unique to John. It says that blood and water flowed out of Jesus' side. Now blood maybe doesn't surprise us, but why water? Well, medical experts and forensic pathologists tell us that's indication of pericardial and pleural effusion, which are just the big words to say that this watery fluid builds up around the heart and the lungs as a result of hypovolemic shock. 
So Jesus is dead. The Romans have verified it. They've confirmed it. Pilate grants access to his body. And so Joseph and company go to retrieve it. Now it just so happens that Joseph, who is well off, has an open tomb that's never been used that is very close by. And it's in this garden. So they take Jesus' body to the tomb and prepare his body in the traditional Jewish way. So in Jewish burial customs, they wrap the body in big strips of linen, this expensive cloth. And as they're wrapping it, they're placing in spices, 75 pounds of spices. I was trying to remember, how how many pounds do you get in a check baggage suitcase now? Is it like 50, 50-ish? I mean, just imagine. So, So all their servants are trudging along these spices of myrrh and aloes. And the reason they did this in Jewish culture was to mask the smell of decomposition. And so that's where we left off Good Friday. Jesus is dead. He's buried by Joseph and Nicodemus. The other Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene and some other women are also there and they see where Jesus' body is laid in this tomb so that they can return after the Sabbath is done and they can pay their respects and bring their own spices. So that's where we left off. And then comes early this morning, Sunday morning, And we flip the page into chapter 20. As it begins, it is so early in the morning, it's like me getting up in Canby, Minnesota all those years ago. It's dark outside. And Mary Magdalene and some other women named in the other Gospels make their way to the tomb. Now, as I said, John is going to have this special emphasis on Mary Magdalene. She's one of the women who is following Jesus. Did you know that? That women had female disciples in this larger group that are also following him and learning from him. And so Mary Magdalene is one of them. Luke tells us that Mary and some others supported Jesus in his ministry financially, so we know that she's well off. We also know from Luke that it says Mary Magdalene was freed of seven demons by Jesus. It's just this intriguing little detail dropped into the story, and we don't know anything further about it. But we do know this. Mary Magdalene was a first eyewitness of the empty tomb. She arrives at the tomb, and she can see enough in the dark. Some of you, if you're used to in the fall, like being up in a tree stand for deer hunting, you know, you're in while it's still dark, and then you can start to see things. And and as it goes, you can see a little bit further out into the woods or across the field. And so it's, it's dark enough that she arrives, and she can see that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance to the tomb. Now, what does she do? I want you to think about this carefully with me. Does she arrive and see the stone is away, and she says, I knew it. And she walks slowly, and like the music swells, and she says, I knew that Jesus would rise from the dead, and it's come to pass. Is that what happens? No, she is not thinking resurrection. None of them were. They saw him killed. They buried his dead body on Friday. And so she sees the tomb is open. And she hightails it to find Peter. And it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now you run into that phrase only in John's gospel. The disciple whom Jesus loved. And it's John's way of saying, that's me. (laughs) I'm in the story. And, uh, you know... 
it's not a dig at the other disciples as he says that. It's, it's really a term of endearment. At least I don't think it's a dig. Some of you have a spoiled baby brother, and so you maybe are wondering about that. But Mary runs to Peter and John, the beloved disciple, and she bursts through the door like we saw in the end of that video. And she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. That's her conclusion. And she says this because probably she's thinking one of two things has happened. Either someone has transferred the body for non-nefarious purposes Like we're going to see her ask the gardener. You remember from Aaron reading the story. She says to the gardener, Sir, if you've carried him away, well, just tell me where you put him and and I'll go get him. So maybe they needed this tomb for somebody else and they moved Jesus' body. Maybe the gardener had done that. Or perhaps, and I think more likely, she thinks that his body has been stolen. And I say that because grave robbing was a common occurrence in the ancient world. And it was a big enough problem that just a few years later, Emperor Claudius in 41 AD, he made grave robbing a capital offense. So who knows? I mean, all those expensive linens, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, we know they were both wealthy, all those 75 pounds of spices, that would have made quite a haul for a grave robber. Now, on the other hand, we know that the tomb was stationed by Roman soldiers, and so you'd have to calculate for that. But Mary reports the news to Peter and John, and those two now do what? They take off running to see for themselves. And I love how it says in the story that the other disciple outran Peter. That is John saying, I beat Peter there. So maybe he is that kind of little brother. It's a little cheeky. But I think it's actually just John doing the work of eyewitness reporting. And we know that he would have been a fair amount younger than Peter. Peter is kind of has the senior status among the disciples. John is the youngest. So John gets to the tomb first. And he kind of peeks in, but he doesn't go inside. Remember, it's this cave-like tomb that you would enter, that you would walk down into. And so he's outside peeking in, and he can see these strips of linen that Jesus had been wrapped in, and they're just lying there. They're on the stone burial slab that would be inside the tomb. They're lying on the slab. John can see it from the entrance, but he doesn't go in. Well, Peter arrives now. He's out of breath. John won the race. But Peter gets there, and Peter does what Peter typically does. He charges in. So he just marches on into the tomb, and he sees... Now we get a little closer look as... Peter's inside. We see the strips of linen that John saw, and he also sees this new detail, the cloth that would have been wrapped around Jesus' head. In fact, it says in the text that the head cloth is separate from the strips of linen lying in its own place. And the Greek in the original makes it even more explicit. Literally, it says the head cloth was rolled up or folded is what the word means. Like someone had tidied up before they left the room. Now, why does John emphasize the linen and the cloth? So the others will make mention of this a bit, but for John, this is really important. You know, in one sense, he's just reporting the facts, and so he reports what happened. But I think that there is another emphasis here that he has in mind, and that is a contrast to who else was raised from the dead 
in John's gospel. Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus was buried in a cave just like Jesus was. Traditional Jewish burial. He's wrapped in linen. There's a separate headcloth. But by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And nevertheless, Jesus arrives and, and he says, roll away the stone. And it's Lazarus' sister Martha who says, Lord, it's been four days. You remember why they wrapped the body with spices? To mask the smell. She says, Lord, it's been four days. The body will stink, it says in John 11. And Jesus says what? He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? It's a preview of our key word, isn't it? He says, did I not tell you, believe? So they roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus shouts into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus walks out of the tomb and listen to the detail, wrapped in strips of linen with the cloth around his face. So he emerges from the tomb like a mummy to the point that Jesus has to tell the crowd, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Somebody help this guy out. So do you see the contrast? Lazarus is raised from the dead in his mortal body. He is still bound in strips of linen. And one day, the poor guy, he's going to have to die again. Jesus is in a resurrection body when he steps out of the tomb. He is unbound. It is as if from that stone slab he emerged from the grave clothes and he folded them in place like they're going to be a donation to goodwill. He doesn't need this stuff anymore. Well, back in our story now in John 20, John now goes into the tomb to join Peter and he sees what Peter sees. And I love this simple line in the story. It says there in verse 8, he saw and believed. And if you want, you grab that pen, your own Bible, whatever, just underline that sentence. He saw and believed. Underline it, circle it, highlight it, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But this is the moment for John that he saw and believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Now what about Peter? I don't know if he was that far yet. It says in the other Gospels that Peter went away, quote, wondering to himself what had happened. But John, John believed. So as we carry on, then the story now is going to shift back to Mary Magdalene. Like Peter, she's trying to figure this out. And she's returned to the garden where we find her crying outside the empty tomb. Now this is unique to John. We want to look at this scene. In fact, it says she's not just crying, she's weeping. And in her anguish, she bends down to look into the tomb. And I wonder if she's maybe kind of in her sorrow, she's propped against that stone entryway. And she stoops down and she looks inside the tomb. And as she does so, she sees two angels. One is at the head of that stone burial slab and the other is at the foot. And they say... Woman, why are you crying? 
Woman, why are you crying? Now, we wouldn't really probably address a woman that way, you know, unless you want to get decked, I suppose. Well, they're angels. I guess they could do whatever they want. But the English equivalent would be more like ma'am. So in, in Greek, they say, say woman. We would say ma'am. Ma'am, it's a sign of respect. Why are you crying? And she has the wherewithal in front of these two angels to repeat what she had said to Peter and John. Remember, she's still not thinking resurrection. She says the same thing. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. And all the irony as she says this and what happens behind her. She hears a noise maybe at the entryway to the tomb and she turns around and she sees Jesus but doesn't recognize that it's him. Now whether Jesus' resurrection body just looked slightly different or whether Mary's recognition is divinely concealed, we don't know. But she doesn't recognize him. And he asks the same question that the angels had just asked. He says, woman, ma'am, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And I just imagine these two angels behind Mary kind of like looking at each other and stifling some laughter as Jesus asked this. They're trying not to crack up. And I just imagine they got back to heaven when their assignment was done and they're telling all the other angels about this around the campfire. I just imagine there's campfires in heaven and your clothes don't smell like smoke for a week afterwards. So what a scene is playing out. And not only does she not recognize Jesus, but she just thinks that he must be the gardener that tends to this place. And she starts to wonder if he may know something. She's looking for this body, so she says, Sir, you know, if you've carried him away, just let me know where you've put him and I'll go get him. There's been some terrible mistake. Jesus is supposed to be here and I've come to see his body and to say goodbye. Just tell me where you've put him. And Jesus only has to say one word to her in this moment. And the veil is lifted. He says her name. Mary. And she hears that. And she says to him, she cries out in Aramaic, Oh, Rabboni. What she always called him, all those past years of following him. Teacher. And this beautiful reunion reminds us of what Jesus had said in John 10. That he calls his own sheep by name. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Mary is not just the first eyewitness of the tomb, but she is the first to witness the risen Lord. And whatever this reunion looked like, she must have clung to him. Whether she hugged him or she's holding his feet, weeping at his feet, Jesus says to her, Mary, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me, Mary. I've not ascended yet to the Father. But he says, go. Mary, we've got work to do. Go and tell my brothers, tell the disciples. And the passage finishes with Mary going to tell them, I have seen the Lord. Like John, she saw and believed. What does it mean to believe? That's where we want to finish this morning. What does it mean to believe? It's John's favorite word, I think, in his whole gospel. But what does it mean? What it does not mean 
is for a person to have some vague religious status. Nor is it to identify with certain traditions. We talked about favorite Easter traditions. It's not that you identify with certain traditions or that you would even assent in some way to certain tenets of faith. When we confuse these things for belief, when we say, oh, I'm a believer and that's what it means, that's when we run the danger of spending years of our life loosely affiliated as Christians but not believing as disciples of Jesus. What does it mean to believe? To believe in Jesus means that you have staked your very life on what He has said to be true. To believe means that you trust Him. It's active. I trust Him. I know Him personally. You know your shepherd's voice and you follow Him. You follow Him not just as a religious figure, but as your Lord and Savior. And so my question for you this morning is if you believe this. What Jesus asked Lazarus' sister, do you believe this? Because you may have come this morning feeling pretty empty, pretty low, even on Easter Sunday morning, even as spring arrives and the temps rise, in one way or another, most of us are familiar with this feeling of emptiness, of lack, of not having enough. And you know in whatever way you would fill in that blank, you know what it means to have a hole in your heart, to experience disappointment and heartache that no human solution and no human ingenuity or know-how or self-help could ever fill. Empty tank, empty bank account, empty seat at your table, empty house. But there is something that brings life. There is something that brings fullness. And it is the empty tomb. What it means to believe and to belong and to follow Jesus. And that's what I invite you to this Easter. And that I invite you to regardless. If you are hearing and seeing and believing for the first time, or whether you have been following Him for years, that you would press on as a disciple even further. I want to know Jesus even more this year than I did last year. To see and to believe and to know Him. That He died for my sins. That where I'm empty and where I lack, He fills my heart with His love and He sets me free from the curse of death. Do you see and believe? Do you hear the shepherd's voice as it calls your name? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we praise You this morning for this story that is the immutable fact of our faith. And I pray, Lord, this would not just be another Easter in America, but that there would be something this morning and today on Easter Sunday that would be immediately personal for those of us who are here. You are the risen Lord. You invite us to follow and to believe.
and to belong to you. And so in the quiet of our hearts, Lord, for all those who are ready, we say, yes, I believe. I stake my life on this. Jesus is my risen Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.